Good morning, Great Connections listeners, and welcome to 2024. I'm really excited to kick off this year's first episode with Matt Teske. He's the founder of Chargeway. And coincidentally, for long-term listeners, you may know, Matt was actually in the first episode of Great Connections we've recorded. So it's really an honor to have him on again, and especially to talk with him about the new version of Chargeway. They're officially calling it 2.0 of the app, but we go through some of the new functionality and how it makes it a lot easier for even existing users of EVs that want a road trip or just kind of learn more about charging around them to really explore and use a lot more functionality. In addition, I think this is a great episode for anyone who might be new to charging or road tripping EVs and have been kind of curious what other options are out there to really try and make it as hassle-free as possible. And Chargeway has always been a great example of what they're doing to really try and streamline the process. And it's a really fascinating company because they're making really big inroads, but they're also a very small and agile team. We talked to him about the new version along with some of the current other things that Chargeway does around even offering in dealership beacons and other educational material that even current users might not be aware of. And if you're in the auto OEM industry, I definitely recommend reaching out to Chargeway to look at these other ways to maybe educate your current staff. I think after we really talk about the new and kind of fascinating parts of Chargeway, we also got to talk just about the larger EV charging ecosystem right now and some of the pros and cons of what we're seeing. For those of you who are interested in either trying out, learning more, or even downloading the Chargeway app, you can find all that information in today's show notes. So with that, I just want to say welcome again to 2024 and please enjoy this episode with Matt Teske of Chargeway. Enjoy. Thank you for having me, Chase. Good to see you again. Yeah, just in case uh, people aren't familiar with you or Chargeway or haven't heard the previous episodes, can you just give a real quick overview of what your team is doing and how you're making a huge impact in the EV space today? Definitely, yeah. Um, yeah, Chargeway, for those who aren't familiar with what we do, uh, Chargeway is a software platform and mobile app, and we simplify EV charging and how to understand how EV charging works. And we focus on that by allowing you to choose your EV inside of our mobile app, for example. And then we do all the thinking for you. And then our UI is unique, our user interface, in that it uses colors for plug types and simple numbers for power levels. So that when you look at the map, you know that you can go to green stations because your vehicle has a green plug. And then you will know the maximum charge level of your vehicle is, let's say, a level six. And then you'll see fives and sixes and sevens on the map. You can use all those, you can use the seven, but you'd only, you'd max out at six because of your car. It's a, it's a way to just super simplify how to understand how charging works by sake of, can you connect and then how long will your charge take? So we've been, we initially introduced the idea about, uh, wow, six years ago now, it was originally when we just, I walked around with a laptop at a conference and said, here's an idea. Uh, and it turned into a software platform and mobile app. And uh, just recently we launched version 2.0 of our software for the mobile app. And a huge response, it's been great because uh, it's not only a station finder, it's also a trip planner. And it's got a lot of other features that I'm sure we can dive into. But the, our goal and mission is to just take all that engineering that is difficult to navigate with EV charging exactly. and do a lot of thinking for folks. That's really what, what we want to accomplish. So, Yeah, and I, I think what's so great about your approach in the platform is I think a lot of people listening, they're going to know the difference between a kilowatt, a kilowatt hour, the difference between a LFP and a uh, NMC battery chemistry, all these different things that I know our, our listeners kind of nerd out and really enjoy what we like. But at the end of the day, 
it's as as much as we like to think that the world revolves around us we're a small group of the small section that is the automotive industry and for most people it's just one part of that they don't even think about of their daily lives and that's what i love about uh, what you're doing and what you're so passionate about is to really simplify this i've kind of even jokingly said i don't know if i ever told you this but i've kind of jokingly said it's like it's the grandma ev app like you just sure. it's so simple where you can give it to, it makes, there's a lot of people that love EVs because of all the technology, but I do know quite a few people that kind of like the simple traditional car because uh, right or wrong through uh, maybe bad marketing or just uh, lack of exposure from other companies, it's kind of made EVs seem like, okay, I'm buying a new appliance or I've got to know all these oh, yeah. things. Yeah. And what your software does on the app, and I believe now with uh, some of the integrations, to even kind of show up in the car infotainment, it really does bring it down to be like, it removes all the hassle and really figure it does all the hard work for you. Because um, I think one of the other things too, is I love taking road trips in my EV and I'm kind of a big enough nerd to actually do like, okay, if I do this, I'll be slightly more efficient if I avoid this mountain pass. And it's, there is kind of, I've talked to a few other people in the automotive industry. Um, actually, John McElroy from Autoline out of Detroit even said this. He's like, you know, one of the things that I find intriguing about EVs is it's kind of like the Western frontier. It's like, you're actually having to figure out all this stuff now that we've <laughs> kind of taken for granted for the last 50 years. Yeah. And he's right, but it shouldn't be that way for everyone. If you want to see people actually uh, be able to have an EV as their only car. So yeah. I, I think it's really exciting to have you on. And a big part of the kind of the uh, reason you're on today is with the second version launch of Chargeway that recently happened. So I think it would be great just to kind of, as you've already kind of said, the history just kind of announced some of these big changes and what's really kicked off 2.0 uh, Chargeway, Matt. Yeah, well, I, the, the focus out of building the new version of the app and the software was really, it was born out of learning and talking to drivers as well as utilities, auto dealers, other stakeholders about what what do they need and how do we have a collective conversation that can be an easy conversation for everybody? Um, and so what we wanted to focus on with version 2.0 of the app was how do we take features that people enjoy about what we did in the first version of the app, but make it even all the more so integrated and automated. And as an example, we often talk about you know, how can we educate people on power and and we see you know, tactics all the time of let's call this hyper, let's call this ultra, let's call this yeah. super, let's call this rapid, let's whatever. And it, it it doesn't help anybody understand it. It just, it's marketing, right? And so we have our level system, levels one through seven, it clearly denotes that there's differences and you can see that visually on the map. But we took it a step further in the original app, we had a charge time estimator. You could choose a power level, set your battery level and get an estimated charge time based on the power level and based on what your car could do. This was a separate feature before from the station map. We basically just integrated that feature into the station map itself. So now we have a dedicated vehicle detail screen where you can adjust your battery range. And then everything that happens on the map is then dynamic to your vehicle settings. So you can then click on power levels all throughout the map and it will give you an estimated charge time based on your vehicle's capabilities, the station's capabilities, taking into account charging curve, all those little things that we know are happening in the background. But we serve up what people want to know, which is, if I'm driving this car and I pull up at that station with X percent left, how long do I got to wait? I mean, that's what average people want to know. And so we're focused on having a different conversation than most people in the industry. Yeah, I, I think, uh, I mean, even before we start recording, you kind of mentioned the uh, experience you recently had at an auto show where these people were looking at a one brand of car because that's what they knew. And 
they're like, okay, this, this will take so long. It'll be two charges. And then you kind of had to be realistic when it's like, well, have you looked at this other brand where it essentially makes it one stop and it's a much yeah. shorter stop. Yeah. And I think that's what really helps. Um, I mean, I'll even say it, I'm a pretty big visual learner. And mm -hmm. I, I think your UI has done a really good job of solving a lot of the issues. I think there's other apps out there. Obviously there's the plug shares of the world that'll rate the charger. Mm -hmm. um, but your technology kind of goes a little bit beyond that where it even has the route planning functionality. Yep. But I think as anyone who's listening to this has probably unfortunately seen or experienced, uh, you pull up, let's say at Electrify America, I can't remember if it's the hyper, the fast, the light speed charger, whatever the 350 <laughs> right. kilowatt one is. And there's a Chevy Bolt there. And no offense to Chevy Bolt drivers, but those things top out like 60 kilowatts. And I have seen it myself. Ooh, you're, being, and so, you're being generous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are, I know plenty of horror stories where someone comes like, no, I plug here because my, it charges faster. And it's like, well, oh yeah. unfortunately well, that's not exactly they, true. They hear language like hyper or something yep. and they hear that's the faster one. So if they don't know what they don't know, they just grab it thinking it'll be faster, not having any clue. And so one of the things we actually built into the new trip planner for Chargeway, the updated version of it, is depending on the vehicle you're driving, once we route you to stations and suggest your stops, if there are multiple power levels at that location, we will suggest the optimized power level for your vehicle to optimize throughput at that station. Because that way, it's not about having a discussion about hyper versus 150 right. or 350 kilowatt or what have you. you. Just go, look, if there was a gigantic green seven and a gigantic green six on these chargers, and this thing is telling me go to the six because my car is only capable of charging up to level four. It helps quickly educate on, oh, it doesn't matter if I use six or seven, it's the same fill up speed. It gets away from the, the fluffy marketing of just saying something to say something to make it sound great and actually educates people. And that's the one thing we really focused on with the version two app was to say, how do we make this truly customized to each user, but also make it really smart. And I will say, I mean, Chargeway now, in my opinion, is the most intuitive and an intelligent app you can use for EV charging because we are doing so much of the math behind the scenes for you to make it simple. And I think that was one of the best compliments we received from someone is they said, it seems, it, just looking at it, it seems so easy and so simple, but because I know how much complicated technology and engineering is and math is going on, that means you were able to make it this simple because you understand the engineering. And I said, yeah, that's a, that's a very good compliment. I appreciate that. So, I mean, and this was coming from someone who's an early adopter who said, you know, I'm skeptical of everything that doesn't give me at all the data right up front, right. but you guys are managing it really well. So, so I think we'll have more and more of those moments now that we have, as far as I'm concerned, was just a more elegant, modern interface in the product. And it's just really well polished. And, and so far the feedback has been phenomenal. So. Yeah, that, that's great to hear. And I, I mean, I've even seen some of the feedback just randomly on Twitter and other places where people have been kind of leaving those responses that they've been happy with this new software update. But I think um, while saying it's 2.0 is a big step and there's obviously a lot going on in the back end, there's, it's been uh, fascinating just to me as someone who's kind of followed Chargeway for so long to see all of the additions that your company has added. Mm -hmm. uh, because obviously it started as an app and then it was like, okay, and when it started as an app, there were far fewer cars. So it's like, okay, you've got the Tesla UI, and then there's like two other cars that you have to figure this out for. So this helps us two other cars. Yeah. Um, but obviously that's drastically changed. Yeah. And even as a Tesla driver, it's kind of fun to use and play around with it to just look at other options when you're, believe it or not, in areas where there aren't as many superchargers. 
having said that now we look at where chargeway started where it's going i think it'd be really interesting to talk with you about um the beacons and all these other kind of things oh, that yeah. you guys are now doing that are actually more or less using that software you built for the app but a whole the other side of yeah. kind of the education and getting the awareness of how to make charging much easier for people Oh yeah, and that's and the big thing that we were focused on with again the beacon, the chargeway beacon as we call it, is a, is a retail kiosk that uses the exact same software as the mobile app. And the intent was to say, let's design a way to explain and visualize what is a very chaotic landscape for understanding how to navigate charging, but make it consistent through every touch point someone's going to have through their customer journey. Whether that's researching online and they they're at a website, we can put it in a website. If they go to a showroom for a car that they were interested in buying they have it in the showroom and then they find out they can download it to their pocket any this the repetition of simple consistency with simple consistency is very important in retail marketing and retail products and that's what we've sought to create on and in an agnostic and holistic fashion so people sometimes ask like what's the one liner of charge i'm like well it's it's the branding of electricity as a fuel that's what it is it's it's a packaged way to visualize all the options you need to know how to navigate. And then it's tailored because it's software to the automaker that you want to look at, to the dealership and the brands that they sell, and inevitably to the car that you buy. Again, it's, it is designed with a lot of intelligence behind the scenes. And the beacon as an example was just one way to address a big problem, which is dealers, they don't, they don't ever have to explain fuel when they're selling a gas car. They just say, go buy it and then go to the gas station. You're fine. And that's how most people shop. So to your point about that example, that one couple we talked to, they had a brand of vehicle they've always bought. And so when they think we need to buy a new car, this brand we've always owned has an electric version now. Well, that's of course the one we're going to buy because we trust that brand. They're not thinking even as a consumer, I have to shop thinking about energy efficiency of the battery pack based on the range. What is the charging capability? And some of this stuff will even out over time, but it's not going to happen overnight. And to, to quote uh, Gabe Klein from the Joint Office for DOT and DOE, he's on a podcast that they did internally, he said, adapters are going to be a part of EV ownership for the foreseeable future. And, and so this element of you have to know you can connect to fill up, and then once you've connected, how long do you have to wait? These are fundamental questions that average people need answered quickly, whereas early adopters, they'll dig all the way down in the weeds and right. find the answers like you or me might. But yeah, at face value, if we want to grow the EV market and make people feel happy and comfortable we have to think different about how we communicate. And the beacon at the dealers is just one way to help solve that problem in the journey someone will be on. I think that summarizes it beautifully. And you're totally right around making it easier for people because this really actually isn't a new thing for automotive. There's always been kind of like, obviously the automotive nerds who want to look into the specs like, oh yeah, if I get the turbocharger for this, or if I get the inline six versus the V4, there's clear things that 90% of people do not care about, right. but there's yeah, always the been that trend option. readers that are like, yeah, Oh my gosh, exactly. the displacement on this thing is crazy. Yeah. It's over 10 years. It's gone up by 0.1 liters. Wow. There's three more horsepower. Yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, color it however you want. It's still being a nerd in a specific, uh, sure. knowledge base. Yeah. And I think, uh, that's definitely true with EVs. And I, I think it's great to see that, um, how that's grown because, mm-hmm. Uh, we've had a couple of the people on the podcast so far and I've talked to them where now you have the hot rodding community that's doing the same thing. And they're looking at permanent magnet motors versus different types of motors with this chemistry. 
and they're kind of approaching it from that but it's on the complete opposite side of the guy who's trying to get down from 260 watt hours per mile to 250 just to get that like extra <laughs> efficiency out of it but once right. again very cool stuff across the board but those are outliers well and it, it- yeah, it's it speaks to the the issue that we've been talking about now for over a half a decade, which is we have to ask ourselves where are people coming from, and anytime you're taking any product to market, this is just marketing 101. Is if there's an incumbent product that that the general public loves using, and you're trying to supplant that, okay, what is what is it about that product that they love? And the argument that many people use about, oh, if you buy an EV, you don't have to go to that stinky gas station anymore. My response is most people couldn't care less. If they are buying gas, the biggest concern they always have is the price. But the idea that a gas station is so stinky that they would never want to go there ever again, there are certainly people that will say that. But is it the vast majority of the, of the populace? No, because if that were true, gas cars wouldn't be very successful. But people are willing to deal with that to say, I'll go fill up and it takes me five to 10 minutes and ugh, it costs me 50 bucks or 60, 80, who knows, hundred bucks, but they're willing to pay for that convenience of the other product that they need, which is their mode of transportation. So right. gas is just a built-in necessity that they think they have to have. How many times have we heard when people say, oh, it's a pure electric car. And they say, yeah, but where's the gas go? Because they equate. I still, I even heard that a month ago about a Tesla, and they're like, yeah. "Wait, why, what makes them special? They're just hybrids." And I was like, "I thought they were joking." But I mean, yeah, it's no. it's exactly true. It's still a thing. It's and it's one of those things that I think that you know we've we've been beating this drum now for literally years, but it's becoming more obvious now because as we've been discussing and as we chat about before we started, is we're hitting that mainstream market, and these people that we want to have buying into and believing EVs for their for their driving needs. They need to be explained the information far differently than what we've been doing. We can't just keep going back to the well saying, well, everybody will think like an early adopter. And the answer is, if that were true, Apple computers wouldn't exist. I mean, so we we really need to be thoughtful around how we present technology to people. And again, back to the incumbent aspect of what is the product people have been using forever? It's a magic liquid that, yeah, it smells and it's expensive. But boy, when you get that magic liquid and you put it inside your car, you get to move freely and quickly, and it doesn't doesn't really take much out of your life for time. And so that's important. And knowing how, if that's the competitive landscape of how you need to communicate how your fuel works, you better be bringing more to the table than, well, this is a J1772 7.2 yeah. AC kilowatt connector that can charge you up in about eight hours time. And then your only way to make that sound better is saying something ridiculous like, it takes me, I tell people it takes me 10 seconds to charge. And every time I hear that, I say, please never say that again. Because <laughs> I could say the same thing about pumping gas. Because all right. you're talking about is connecting to your fuel source. You're, and I get you're being creative and kind of cute around, well, then I just go in my house and I go on with my life. Perfectly fine. But that's not what an average person that knows nothing needs to hear. They will actually want to know how long does it take to fill up. And then when you break the news of, well, that's at my house. And it takes, if I need a full yeah. charge, about eight hours. It immediately sounds terrible. And then you're then you're trying to regain their trust again by saying, oh, no, no, no. But then if you find a DC fast charger, it, it only takes maybe 15 to 20 minutes. And they go, great. But then when they realize that that's at the right fast charger with right. the right car. I mean, you see this game is we, we have to be much more thoughtful about how we communicate this because people are going to just start calling BS, frankly, on the EV industry. And I, for one, can't blame them. And that's what we've been working very hard to try to resolve. So... 
totally. And I, I think it is just kind of a confusing juggling of, as, as you even said, the J1772 versus the North American charging set and CCS1, CCS2. Uh, it all seems to be kind of going more towards a single or depending on the market, uh, a unit. But even then, that's still years away from, and we're not even sure if that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, it looks like it will. <laughs> but um, as we people said that before, about CCS a year ago, so they said that about Chatamo too. That's like that's the future. Um, but te- let's be let's be fair. Tesla's plug type, you know, which is now the you know NAX NACS J thirty four hundred. If you're talking SAE, yeah, um, it is without doubt the best design. It is elegant. It's simple. It's lightweight. It's identical to what you'd use at home and away from home. So the user experience of that is very elegant, and that's credit to them and it only took automakers that aren't named tesla years to realize oh yeah the fueling experience is a fundamental part of this ownership of an ev and so you know credit to jim farley when he said you know what hey we're making a pivot and then everybody else that kind of came on after the fact it's like well i mean not everybody's here yet i mean in right. some outliers like volkswagen group is still kind of saying no um and fairness they've got a they've got billions invested into a charging network right. that doesn't have nax on it um but but these are things that even to your point even if we waved a magic wand tomorrow and if everything became you know the tesla connector the nax connector or the red connector in chargeway overnight we'd still have to contend with power right. we still have that gamemanship of that conversation we just had about it takes me 10 seconds oopsie i meant eight hours and kind of thing so it's not like it's the silver bullet solution, but it certainly is a good step forward, in my opinion, for making people enjoy the experience more, for sure. So. Well, and it goes back to exactly what we were saying earlier about these other, uh, the two brands that these other people were looking at, because mm-hmm. at that, there's that, in that comparison, they're talking about the same charge port, but the battery side of it completely changes what that dynamic is oh, and the yeah. charging ability for how often and how long they have to stop to charge there. Yep. With uh, with the work you've kind of done there, with some of the integrations you've done with the, because um, I'd be I'd be kind of curious to hear your experience while Chargeway has kind of evolved with, uh, because I believe it's compatible with CarPlay and Android Auto or just CarPlay or currently CarPlay and, and Android gotcha. Auto. We've yeah we've we've been focused on trying to get that out to market. Um, version two and the redesign basically got bumped up the list on getting that done. Uh, but yeah, a- Android Auto uh, for the emulation for Android Auto is is something that we're hoping to have out at the beginning of the year. So, well, in your experience of kind of going from the app to now the actual infotainment in the car, were there any surprises or kind of any interesting things that you learned with that addition, or was it kind of more or less now the all that's changed is the view for the driver? Uh, oh, and actually, no, it's actually it's the former. It's I mean the problem with um, I, it's that's not a problem, but. Uh, Android Auto and and CarPlay, by design, they are trying to make it as easy to simplify, you know, to, to the the UI UX of it. Make it so there's not a lot of distraction on there. They reduce a lot of content off of what you can show, so you have to be very selective with what you show. Um, but it's it can start to really chip away at the value of what the software is doing in some ways. Um, and there's also just some limitations around what the software can do in iOS uh, and Android when you're emulating inside the car, certain treatments they do to mapping, for example. Uh, mm. We have our own UI for how we identify pins and, and charges on the map with color and number for plug type and power, but how Android and how iOS might collectively group pins together throws off our UI a bit. 
and there's really no workaround for it, but it's, it's their way of trying to, again, take what you're offering up as an app, feed it into the vehicle world in a way that it creates value, but also doesn't distract. Um, right. So, I mean, there's a lot of people that get a lot of joy out of using CarPlay and, uh, and we've had a lot of our users tell us that they're really happy that we have it, uh, but there's ways we'd love to refine it more, um, but there's just some limitations to it currently. Um, frankly, I think that once Apple really steps into the game and starts offering software for vehicles, um, I mean, Project Titan aside, and if they're building yeah, some yeah. EV or whatever, like that's me, you know, but if they're going to come through with what they're talking about for in-vehicle uh, infotainment and software, frankly, I, I'm excited to see what that could be. Um, because if you are talking about driving EV right now, I mean, Tesla's, they are, they are the number one when it comes to software UI UX and how smooth it operates. It's just, it's just very well built. And frankly, everyone else is behind that still just trying to figure it out. And that's even for vehicles that have Google integration. Uh, there are some areas there where there's just still some needs for improvement. So um, I think that's, that's a fundamental piece. So CarPlay and Android Auto are good as a kind of a stopgap, I think. Um, but mm. we'll see what happens as those two tech titans really start to really get into this space. Uh, you know, time will tell, and 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 hopefully we get to we get to work with them on it. So, yeah, that's that's great to hear. I mean, I I know it's kind of one of those easy things, and I think it's probably true for a lot of listeners too, where it's like if you're renting a car and you don't know or you're not familiar with that brand, having the CarPlay kind of is just like the easy. Sure. Uh, thing to plug it in and just now you know what how the car works it, or it, how it feels familiar, right? You're right. Just like, exactly. Okay. That, this is the, not scary. <laughs> right. 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 And I think that uh, fundamentally, it kind of goes back to a core value, maybe unintentionally, of the Chargeway app, of just trying to make it something familiar, something easy, and really to simplify it uh, yeah. across car brand. Because I've used it uh, when I've kind of played with a couple other different car brands, and I don't really either trust the. Uh, uh, native routing software, or to be honest, sometimes it's just so slow that I just say whatever <laughs> yep. and uh, go with something I kind of know and trust more. With that, has there been many conversations or can you share if Chargeway has really been working with any OEMs to like natively help their uh, actual infotainment uh, routing systems? Yeah, we've we've had plenty of those conversations with plenty of OEMs and we're having more of them again because I, well, I think again, rewinding for you know four or five years when we first came to market with our solution, we met with everybody, and, yeah. and that includes I mean that name an OEM we met with them, and I think what what we discovered quickly then was we were having meetings with people that had never even thought of this, they were mm. you know running EV teams at legacy OEMs and getting their feet under them for what they needed to build, but again the perspective of the automakers is this isn't a, this isn't something that we normally solve. We build the car, these will have big batteries in them, they'll have a connector on it. Yes, we need some software, but we always, we can source that. We can find a software partner that can do that for us, et cetera. And I think it was, there was an interview done by, I think it was Jim Farley when he was on a podcast, you know, sometime this, this past year. And he commented on that because, because he said, look, he's like, we, we currently have, I forget how many software vendors and, that he mentioned, right. but he said, we have to get all of them to line up on the same page now. And that's not simple. You know, like there's a lot that goes into making that happen in the ways that we need to be thinking about how an EV operates. And I, I, I've appreciated watching the candor from people like him around the challenges that the legacy OEMs face as it relates to product development and then manufacturing. And, and that's something that, again, five years ago when we met with a lot of folks saying, hey, here's what we've developed and this is why you, we think you should be paying attention. Many of them said, yeah, we agree, but this is going to get solved elsewhere. 
And here we are half a decade or more later, and it didn't get solved elsewhere. In fact, we still have issues related to Volkswagen Group having, you know, gone through a lot of turmoil with with software. Um, You know, even Ford's team has said, yeah, we're going to do stuff internally, but we're inviting other platforms to be a part of what we're doing. Um, But then you have other companies like GM, they are all in on using Google. And that's going to be, and they've said like, we're going to do our own stuff in-house too. You're not going to have CarPlay anymore. You're not going to have Android Auto. And the response of, I mean, to our conversation we just had, how many people read that news and on social media were basically saying, are you crazy? Like, right. this is, this has to be so perfect, you know? And it's, yeah, no, big, and we, it's definitely that alone has been a topic we've talked about on this episode, that decision. And uh, it just needs to be pretty damn good. I've seen a couple early reviews saying it is pretty good, but I mean that, like we just talked about, it's a big crutch for people when they're getting into a new car and it's just one of those battles and of all the things that you have to essentially rebuild and think about and put the investment and resources and when going to a fully electric platform that kind of makes the question is like, is that the biggest priority right now? Oh yeah. And, and how often do we still see people on owners groups that'll you know put up an email they got from you know, the brand of vehicle they own will say, like, you're due for an oil change, or it'll even right. say it inside the car, you yeah. know, and, and they're just kind of like, really, you know, and it's just, I, I think, in fairness, we're asking a very large global industry to think differently about the product they've built for the last century. And it's a lot to unpack. Um, aside from the skin and bones of the cars that they built, and, and that's where, the, again, the legacy auto brands, they still shine. You could put right. a brand new, you know, Audi or Ford or anything next to some of the newcomers. And you can see that, well, these legacy brands, boy, they know how to put together a car outside and inside. And it's it fit and finish is great. Materials oftentimes yeah. are so spot on, but it's that's just skin deep. If you go underneath battery, software, access. Livability is what I kind of always refer to it as. Yeah. It's like, yeah, there's just, uh, I mean, it's as funny as it is, like even my wife doesn't, um, one of her things were we have two cars of all things. One is a uh, Tesla Model Y, which is kind of our road tripper daily car. And then the other car is a 1987 Land Rover Defender 90, which is about as complete opposite. Yeah, I was gonna as say you can get. Uh, the, yeah, the plan is to make that electric eventually, but it's uh, living in Central Oregon. It's a great adventure vehicle, and I, I love the thing for completely different reasons. Mm. That, but the problem is, like a car like that has infinitely more character then I don't care what brand you want to throw at it of its modern equivalent because they've all more or less gone to electric steering, all these other things that kind of, and it's Land Rover. That's kind of the beauty of it is you're happy if it starts and even happier <laughs> if uh, there's not all like the- a mouse or something in the car or any right. other kind of pleasant. That, but I mean, that, that's, it gives a character. All the old uh, cliches around like, yeah, you love it if it runs kind of thing. Right. You know? Oh yeah, no. Um, and that's also the ironic beauty of it. Like I opened it the other day Uh, just to look underneath and check a couple of things. And I can't think of anything I have seen recently, not even car wise, just like so many like products or appliances that have so few wires. There is like, essentially it goes from the battery to the lights and then a couple of check engine lights. And then the rest is all hardware and manual, uh, which is kind of a beauty, a beautiful kind of simplicity to it. But that's going on down a whole different uh, rabbit hole. There's something said about analog. I mean, there is, it's totally Yeah. And that's like a car that really has not many features. It doesn't even have a tachometer or even a, it has a CB radio that's on installed, that's but awesome. it doesn't have a regular radio. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then you look at, yeah, you're right. Like some of the Audi, I mean, pretty much any of the German brands, amazing on the outside, great styling, get in the seats, 
feel amazing. Uh, my mother actually is looking to replace her decade old Mercedes and she's kind of been going back and forth because the one thing she wants is it to be electric. Mm-hmm. But even then it's like, she starts playing with these other things and she gets kind of either overwhelmed or you're right. It's like the livability of it yeah. uh, just kind of falls apart. And I think this kind of goes, what I was trying to say was my wife, one of her big things now is because of the Tesla, like if she buys another car, like the dog mode feature is she won't consider a car because we have dogs. Cause it has that kind of silly thing, mm-hmm. but any modern electric EV should really be able to do it. Oh, um, and it's well, that livability is- thing that you the companies that if you want just a car to get you from point A to point B, and that's what a lot of people say they want, that's sure, that's pretty easy. But when you start kind of like talking to people about how they use the car or what's really important to them, that's when you start, there's that kind of idea of like, oh, just because this car company can build something that has better panel gaps or something else like that, it mm-hmm. really falls apart in why some of these startups have kind of transcended from being startups and are now very large, successful new automotive companies. Well, we're, we're kind of just walking around the topic, but I mean, we're referencing Tesla in most ways. And I think, the, right. you know, and Rivian is an example. There's a lot of people that they came out of the Tesla you know, alumni group that joined companies like Rivian that have taken a lot of learnings out of some of the, you know, cutting their teeth. on artists copy, great artists steal kind of yeah, thing, which is right? fine. And it yeah. works for them. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, even the little stuff, like you got dog mode inside the Tesla and you got like the little, the little Sasquatch dude inside of Rivian, yeah. you know I mean? And, yeah, yeah. But, but those little things that add a level of, you know, comfort and some just like cuteness is not everybody wants to, we, we've seen movies about the future where it's like these heads right. up displays and screens that have just charts and numbers and lines and graphs. And, and for some reason, everybody on the ship knows how to use it, you know, exactly. and I'm looking at that going, I gotta be honest. I don't think that's like, it seems like people... a step back. <laughs> well, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. I, I think most people are going to be like, do you guys have a button that says right. easy on it? Because back in like forever ago, there's a company called staples that did that. And I loved it. You know, I mean, right. and it's a gag, but it's, but that's how people think. And I think that the, in vehicle experience, I mean, I've driven plenty of other EVs aside. I mean, my my wife and I, she has a Model Y, I have a Model 3. But prior to that, we had a Bolt. We had both generations of Chevy Volt. We had a Spark EV. And I've driven plenty of other vehicles. And I have to say, there is there is something to the, the minimalism approach that Tesla has used. Now, on one hand, it's great for manufacturing because it's like 75 less buttons. You know, for it's sure. just, for it's, sure. like, eh, it's cheaper yeah. to build a car that way. But at the same time, the to your point about how they can make changes and add features that are yeah. unique, leveraging software that way is really amazing. And I think that they've really shown how they can do that in a very thoughtful way. Um, but these other companies that, again, legacy brands especially, they have to figure out where software will live in their world as a core competency. But I hear that conversation. And then on the other side, the next day I hear, and now we have blank energy as part of our home energy. Yeah. Something I'm going, okay, I get it. It's it's important to figure out how to compete, but at some point, is I mean, I'm 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 very exhausted with the press releases. Let's say that I, I don't want to see That's the press releases. Lately. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's how often can you read something? And if you're in the new, if you're in the know, you look at it and go, well, that's fluff. Yeah, like, there's, well, and there's it's... no meat on that bone it kind of goes back to uh, the conversation we were also having earlier uh, about an organization around like focusing on all sorts of different things instead of staying in that kind of core area. And I, I am the biggest fan. I think the concept of vehicle to grid is really fascinating. I think there's a lot of potential, 
but I do not think they have thought that one through as far as how many questions that that generates. Oh my gosh. And it gets yeah. a lot of people interested in the technology, but unfortunately, uh, it's it falls apart real quickly when they find out they have to upgrade their panel just to do it, and that's six thousand yeah. dollars plus another ten thousand dollars to put in another gateway and all these other things they have to do. Yep. Um, obviously, if you got a really brand new home and the panel's wide open, yeah, it should be then it's only a couple thousand dollars, but <laughs> yeah, it's but it's, it's still not, thousands of dollars, yeah, exactly. Because, and it's yeah. not like I, I think everyone sees like, oh, I just plug it in and it just works. And unfortunately, oh, that's, what, that's what the Super Bowl ad yeah. said a few years ago. And the reference you just made is exactly what I saw in an owner's yeah. group. Uh, someone had reserved a particular truck that promised that it could charge your home for yep. or keep your house powered on for a week or more. And they reserved the truck and then they called their electrician and the electrician said, what are you doing? And he's right. and this is a guy in this. He, he had a whole paragraph, multi-paragraph response, but it wasn't even about the money. It was about the fact that he felt duped. Because by the right. time he got done talking to his electrician, the guy walked him through it and said, yeah, this is going to probably end up costing you about 20,000 bucks to fully upgrade everything and get all the equipment and do, you know, to do what you want. And that to me is, is again, it's just the, we have to look like we're competing. So let's say right. something. And then, uh Oh, we didn't really know what we were talking about, but also in fairness, let's be honest, like Tesla, they weren't offering B to X either. They, right. they, they're just like buy more Which, batteries from us. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's only really within the uh, the announcement of the Cybertruck within the past month that they're like, okay, now we're going to try doing this. Well, um, they 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 signed themselves up for that with every deal they made for right access to the supercharger network and for sure. vehicles and for sure. Yeah, but I agree with you a thousand percent on the the V to X promise, and we've been asked this by many partners that we work with is. You know, what's the role you think you can play in, in the programs we have related to managed charging and V2X, et cetera. And, I, and we've got some things that we're working on for how we can slowly roll into those conversations. But I've said to many people, I think the, the promise of that, like you said very well, is we're, people are not thinking about like the human element there. Right. What are we actually asking people to do? We're effectively saying to them, if you're a homeowner, when you plug your vehicle in, we will siphon fuel out of your car at some point that you paid right. for. And we have to then offer them some kind of actual value back. And right now, the programs that are pilots around this are, if you sign up today, we'll give you 100 bucks. And if you keep doing this at the right time, we'll give you another 25. I think that for early adopters that want to, just because they like to nerd out on the engineering and the tech, yeah. I think they might dive in. Average folks are going to say, real quick, time out. If I paid, hell no. Yeah, yeah. If I paid X amount of dollars for this fuel, right. you better be giving me a pretty good premium to suck it back out of my car. You know, right. and it's it's just invasive. And everybody that I've talked to inside of the energy sector that are a lot of them that are leading these pro projects, there is a need to create a better appreciation around this is not a thermostat. This is not a fridge. This is someone's yeah. car. It's their it's their mode of transportation. It's an extension of their personality. You can't just tap into that like it's a thermostat. It's it's a different. It's, you are engaging with someone that someone and something about their ownership experience that's very different than what you might be thinking. So yeah, I agree with you 100%. Is there's a lot more that needs to be discussed around this before we have all these stationary storage things waiting for us to tap into. It's like no, you, there are people that own cars that you're hoping they will sign up for what you're doing. And then there's that whole thing called software that a lot of these OEMs are struggling with. That is the only way that this is all going to work. Right. That, yeah. Yeah. I 
I'm cautiously optimistic, but I, I mean, uh, I think there's plenty of reasons you could say why Tesla actually wasn't doing it. But I, I always did think the argument that at least they were trying to make, or at least Elon was specifically about the idea is like, well, if you're and kind of growing up somewhere where maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, if it's a bad year, uh, we might lose power for like a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And so the argument was like, well, if you're out of power and it's plugged in your car and you have to go to the store, right that's there. great for you. But the rest of your family now is out this of is power. Dark. Yeah. And I mean, some power is better than no power, I guess. But like, even I kind of agreed with that. I was like, yeah, that kind of kind of automatically, uh, now that you can even do that with the Cybertruck as a backup thing, I would still, I mean, now I don't have to buy like 10 or whatever Powerwalls, but <laughs> it's still like, if you actually are considered about this, you still have to buy one. They're not cheap. Yeah. Well, um, and but no, that's that example. You and just that's a whole nother thing. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, that, that, but that's the exact example. The gentleman that, that had reserved that I think it was a Ford F-150 Lightning. And yeah, that yeah. was the exact example he gave. He said, he said, my daughter is an asthmatic. And sometimes we've had to rush her, you know, like we've had incidences where we've had to take her to the hospital. So what happens if I have to take her to the hospital? And my electrician said, well, you unplug your truck and your house turns off. And he said, how is this a value add to my life again? I don't get it, you know? And so, I mean, again, my family, we have solar and home batteries. And we have seen the benefit from that even here in Oregon, where we're not exactly a solar haven, but it it really works well. And and we don't have to think about, if I could augment what I've done with my home batteries by by going further with my car, I would totally say, yeah, that's a cool added feature. I'd be down for that. But right. having it be like the binary of it's either this or that, I think, you know, giving giving consumers some flexibility on that is going to be important in the long run, because I don't think people are just going to say, I plugged in my EV, and if you want to suck power out of it, you know, hey, have at it. I just don't see how people are going to sign up for that immediately. I just don't. So Yeah, and it's, I think this is true about a lot of different things when it comes to EVs right now, uh, but I've especially thought this about the whole v2g thing this maybe can be the last thing we say about it but uh it reminds me of kind of like windows versus mac in the 90s and you obviously would see like those comparison charts usually by some company that had a windows computer they were selling about where it was different in a functionality feature thing and visually that looks good but it's not like practical for what people are using right and i think the big part of it too is and, and then actually you saw this the same with ios versus android where Apple's making all the money off their computers and their hardware. And it's people aren't really buying the hardware. They're buying the functionality and the software elements. So mm-hmm. X companies can uh, try and uh, compete on like different function sets. And then you can say, hey, this ABC company has function set that one, two, three car company doesn't have. Mm-hmm. And it's just not a really good sell. Or I mean, it might work, but it's really just strong, long-term, uh, not a very strong argument. I, I just feel like, yeah. Uh, and and then there's the whole thing about the battery warranty. How many times do you charge it if you're using it from the hat? I don't know. No, so I, I, the way I finally have- This goes down a long rabbit hole of- Well, but it's, I, again, to your point, the, the, the listeners that you have for your, your podcast yeah. and, and, and folks in this space, I think we all need to be very honest to ourselves about what we're talking about. And, and I finally have said to you know folks in the energy sector that we partner with, that there I think there are ways to walk people into the V to X opportunity. I think that- if at the end of the day, what we're talking about is, you know, V to H, vehicle to home, vehicle to V to L, vehicle to load, vehicle to grid, you know, so V to G, and even V to V, vehicle to vehicle, if you wanted to get cute with it. And it's a thing you can do. Right. But I think that what we finally landed on for how we explain it to people in the space for how they should be thinking strategically about consumer engagement is 
right now, no one has visibility into anything. Like that's the thing is if you're, if you're, if you want to go all the way to the step of, we want to control this thing fully. It's like, okay, well, right now you've got nothing. <laughs> People aren't yeah. listening to you. They're not paying attention. They're not, they're not giving you information. At a minimum, you need visibility into where are EVs located so that at a minimum, you can be doing basic homework around what are you doing to, again, your gr the grid around that area. And then with that visibility, you can also get a sense for how many of those vehicles are actually V2X capable. So how many, how many assets are there out in the field? Then from there, the next step after visibility is influence. The best you can ever beg for is we'd like to influence your behavior somehow. That means either A, we would like to have you not charge at certain times to help us manage load, or when you're plugged in, we'd like to maybe you know stop your charge or pull some power off. But the, mo the moment you go from that, you, you go from influence into actual control. And the moment you're having control, that means that consumer has had to say, I'm signing up for this, that you can actually control right. my destiny about how my car is filled up. That's a big step. The value proposition has to be very real. And after control is fully managed, like it's just automated and that people just plug in and they don't have to think, you don't have to think, it's just great. And to your point, boy, that's a lot of software. Like that's a lot of the right things communicating the right way that are also built off of a value proposition that uh, as of our conversation is, I think is showing, it's built on some pretty shaky ground. So I think- And it's using know, infrastructure that's pretty damn old. <laughs> there's that, I, I'm, I'm still yeah. amazed that more utilities aren't offering up. After the experience we had here with our solar and batteries here in Oregon, I'm thinking if we're, if we're talking about building more power plants, I swear to God, there should just be a subsidized program for, okay, if, you're, if your roof has some decent sun access, solar and some home batteries, we've been 60% off grid in the last two years wow. here in Oregon. That's bonkers. Yeah, that's crazy. And it's like, why are we building more power plants? We could be offsetting so much of this load with like, like hey, you have just solar and some home batteries and you're good to go. But then it, it turns into, well, what if we just use their car? And I'm just over there going, oh, yeah. no. But no. I, I think there's already been so many cool pilot. Per I mean, yeah, this this is actually what I think is way more fascinating is uh, virtual power plants. Yeah. And obviously a huge software component to that, but <laughs> yeah. much more impressive as to what can be done and is actually already working around uh especially kind of what you're talking about home use and then being able when there's either a power outage or the potential for a brownout using software that's already available in the technology to mitigate that and yeah. to kind of minimize those issues and I, and I completely agree with you i think there are other people and maybe other interests that have kind of pushed back on that yeah. But uh, as far as like a practical, and I think what most people are more likely to experience first, like the whole concept of having just solar and batteries that are subsidized by your uh, your utility, I think is much more likely to catch on and uh, be at least financially much more approachable than the current status of using your car as a big battery to back up your house. It's it, it then it turns into who owns the asset, who's managing it, et cetera, et cetera. You know, right. I, I just I'm. We, the, the thing of it, it always reminds me of that quote from Jurassic Park when they're all sitting there having lunch and he's like, your scientists were so preoccupied wondering if they could, they didn't stop to think if they should, Yes. you know? And I, and I've said that jokingly to some, some, you know, colleagues in, in our industry because we, and there's a fever pitch around some of this stuff too, the promise of something. I mean, yeah. when we, we saw it happen with autonomy and that bubble burst, we've, we saw it happening sort of with charging all of a sudden a bunch of SPACs and EV SPACs that happened. Yeah. Those kind of fizzled. Now we're having this, well, what if the energy is controlled this certain way? It's, and I just look at all these things. I'm thinking, okay, brass tacks. 
what is it we need people to engage with us on and how do we need to help them have and lead a quality life? And there's an energy aspect to that in a big way that they haven't thought about before. So it's getting them to think about it, but then also not, not being, not asking too much of them. And I think that right. the influence piece of if you invite them in and say, this is, this is your, you choose your own adventure. If you have a car that has a big battery on it, we'd love to have you involved in these programs because here's the value it can bring to you. And also potentially to, you know, other aspects of, you know, your neighborhood or God knows what, I mean, but then you start to walk that line of altruism that most people kind of go, I'm going to tell you this, but uh, no. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's, that happens all the time. So, right. Um, yeah. And that's, uh, and I, I think we've kind of touched on a lot of it. I mean, if you go to the charge way uh, website, obviously mm -hmm. a big portion of it is talks about utilities. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously you've kind of had that experience and exposure talking with about this. Is there, anything that you can share that you've done or you're working with utilities now that is kind of what we're talking about or has it been mostly around kind of the i mean it sounds like a large part of this anyways education but sure. uh, providing the education through beacons or the chargeway app for mm -hmm. x utility or is yeah. it starting to kind of go beyond that or is it kind of really it is well, I think it's still as much as you, me, and everyone else that's probably listening. Yeah. <laughs> we all talk about this all the time. Again, right. we're we're a very small segment of the marketplace, um, and it's just the population. We have done a lot of work with utilities on helping them figure out where to position, how to explain the value of their programs. Um, mm. we'll, we hear it very often where it, maybe it's a level two program, or if you sign up for this level two home charging program, we will give you X rebate. And what is the hope of that, that program? Well, we want you to buy this charger because it's managed so we can do some testing around how we can throttle your charge or turn it off. Or, and so, and that's the thing, it's a little bit of a, it's kind of bait and switchy, right? It's like, yeah. we'll just do this thing for free. And in the fine print, it says, we are gonna potentially turn off your chargers. <laughs> um, right. a, friend of, a friend of mine in Los Angeles uh, was telling me a story about one of his neighbors who like, they bought a Nest thermostat through a utility program not oh, yeah. realizing that, oh yeah, we will shut your AC off if the grid gets too stressed. And he was flipping out over it. And, and they were talking about it and he said, yeah, but that's what you signed up for. He's like, no, I thought I was just getting a rebate for a thermostat. I didn't realize they're going to make my house too hot to be sitting in. You know, so that, that part of it is what we, we keep talking to any utility we talk to is about be very thoughtful around what we're actually asking of people. Right now, they don't think about electricity and energy virtually at all. We've had yeah. very simple to use and frankly, cheap to access energy for a century that has made our modern life what it is. But this new element of you need to understand how electricity works in your life, whether that's your home or maybe your to fuel your mode of transportation, we have to be very thoughtful around, again, what is that incumbent experience they've had and what are they used to? And for we're sure. never going to get there by making them become electrical or mechanical engineers to understand the value of why we're pulling X amount of kilowatt hour off their battery. It's just not going to happen. So, yeah. And I mean, it's, it's uh, not to go too deep and it's, I mean, that that's very spot on, especially when you start talking about EVs, because then you have so many variables, but you look at how uh, so many different utilities and especially uh, counties and different cities are really pushing for the electrification of home appliances versus like natural mm -hmm. gas and others. And even that has such a educational barrier to understand like, well, this is, I've always used natural gas, good or bad. Yep. 
Um, and then I think that's facing so many headwinds to then try and throw on the EV component and how all this works. And then you, you can't get them to you... switch their oven. Like, come yeah, on. exactly. Yeah. Well, You're and... asking to do that and then back up your house. I, I don't know. This, this is well, a little far-fetched. And there's political ramifications to right. it. And the fact, that, the fact that electricity has become politicized is, is bonkers, you know, but yeah. it's where we are. Um, and I think that that's a big thing that should be really, you know, again, we should be paying attention to how did that happen? And um, with regard to, again, the conversations we, we have with utilities, so we have programs where we have worked to help position and promote the value of these programs with regard to how does that look inside of the Chargeway Beacon? How can a sales rep at a showroom see value? And nine times out of 10, it's, hey, if you provide, uh, you, know, uh, you know, if you provide information to our customer, and this is the utility saying this, you know, yeah. we'd love to work with your dealership on how we can give you some benefits around those programs. And, and that's where you have to help create relationships between stakeholders that haven't really worked together before. Right. And, um, and, and, but the automakers are kind of catching wind of, oh, it's a, it's, it's a holistic process. So we'll just roll in your level two charging install when you buy the car. That undermines any level two program from utility at the showroom. Yeah. And so there's those challenges. Um, but I mean, we've got a variety of different things we've, we've touched on with utility programs. Uh, one, we have a we have a program we're launching with uh, with Austin Energy starting in, in Q1, Q2 of this coming year. That oh, is cool. Congrats. solely focused on how we can give energy information to drivers in the Chargeway mobile app and how is it related to their lifestyle? Because if they are a homeowner, it's a different type of value proposition than if they're not. And For what sure. are these programs from a utility like Austin Energy and how can we showcase the value of that to each of the users that we have based on the fact that we're already trying to create a tailored experience for them and that's the value they get out of using Chargeway. So it's about creating a personal authentic relationship with your customers as it relates to energy and making sure that the ecosystem you're having them live within has answers for them because if they have to keep jumping out to find solutions or if they're given information that feels misleading as we've discussed and we've seen from various stakeholders well then you just immediately lose trust and right. that's a big part of what we're talking about is building trust with the public around electrification so yeah i mean i feel like <laughs> uh the last hour already we have i mean there's so many different areas that we've discussed that could easily be their own podcast episodes and i don't know i feel like uh, I really enjoyed talking with you, Matt, because I, sometimes I feel very optimistic and then I feel <laughs> reminded about everything that also bothers me, but at least I know there's someone else that knows and understands these problems. Well, but let's, let's, that. yeah, <laughs> let's, let's try to keep it optimistic. So, well, um, that's not to say there's not great things happening this for sure. I mean, for sure. For sure. For sure. The sales volumes of EVs, the, 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 the joke, about it's all going in the right direction. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah, happening. Yeah. I think that there's, there's reason to be pragmatic around pragmatic that's yeah yeah and, and yeah. it's just it's just saying what's happening in this conversation and where are we seeing sales volumes going to we're at eight percent now nationally california's at like 24 percent or something like that last last quarter so things are going in the direction that electrification is is it, it ain't going away for so, sure and i i think just uh i mean those are great examples and great numbers but what I think is so uh, to be positive and to kind of reconfirm what we've, we've seen these similar things happen in China. We've, and there's obviously sometimes been different levers that different governments and stuff and even public or uh, private uh, companies can pull, but it seems like everything we've seen, whether it's China or Europe, 
a lot of these kind of happen at a logarithmic scale. And it, for a long time, everyone in the industry is going to say, oh, no, it's not going to happen here. No, 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 that can it. Yeah, that'll be the thing that happens in Europe. But I mean, even just in the last, I'd say, two years, let alone half year, mm -hmm. uh, the and there's been a little bit of a pullback, but I, I think you're just seeing that across the auto industry right now in general. It's not really that much of an EV specific thing. But you're seeing all yep. those right numbers that we've seen in other markets where it's like, no, this is going to happen. Eh, maybe it's going to happen. Like, okay, crap, this is actually happening. We are, we got to get on board whether we've uh, wanted it to or not. And I, I think it is obviously a really positive thing. And so I think where we're seeing everything going is all stuff to be excited for. Oh my gosh. Uh, and to be optimistic yeah. about it. Cause I mean, for how far, uh, for how long I've known and kind of followed the stuff you're doing, it, it just seems like it, like I said earlier, when Chargeway launched, there was maybe the Model S, the Bolt, a Leaf, and a uh, couple. I mean, we we initially introduced the idea. Uh, this was this would have been what 2017. So there was a few more okay. cars on yeah, the Yeah, there's more on the yeah. You know, but but your point, not a ton. I mean, it was yeah. like maybe the i3, <laughs> right, know, right, like right. the Fiat 500. There, or something. A lot of them that have come and gone. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. And compliance um, cars that are now in the dustbin of, of history. Uh, yeah. Collector's cars somewhere, I guess. Um, yeah. But for sure. But I, I think uh, I, I also want to be respectful of your time because I realize we're kind of coming up almost on an hour here with we've talked about kind of where the apps come where it's going the things that we're excited about. Can you share just a few uh, things that if you haven't already about uh, since you started Chargeway, things that have kind of surprised you or you weren't expecting to kind of see with uh, where you had started and where you might see either the pull from the market or just kind of the feedback from uh, users of the app? Uh, I think I was, one of the things that surprised me over the last five years is I, I frankly anticipated that the third-party charging networks would have a better understanding of the role that they were going to play in the ownership experience um, and they, they would be concerned about their brands looking like they don't care about the driving and fueling experience. Mm -hmm. But over time, I, you know, it just became more obvious that because of the business models that exist within EV charging and how grants are issued and how revenue yeah. is made and things like that, it just became so obvious that it was in some cases, unfortunately, not about the driver. And it was far more so about the opportunity to grow the business and kind of, you know, kind of pass, pass the buck over to whoever was buying your services to say, now it's your problem to make sure that the charger is okay and that drivers are satisfied. But at face value, the way that those programs were being sold, whether, whether it was to a policymaker, a city, a municipality, or even a small business, it always was with the promise of, no, our chargers are on all the time and it's yeah. on our app and you're on our network now and it's going to be so great for you. And I think that that in the long term, like in the last five years, especially, we've seen the damage it's done. We've seen the articles all the time about people saying you can't rely on these things. Um, and it's it, it's unfortunate. And I I had I had far more optimism around that uh, for networks. And frankly, Ford and other brands waving the white flag saying, I do see it as that, a waving of the white flag saying, we're switching to the Tesla connector. We're just going to basically say, we'd love to tap into what you guys got because you take care of it and it works. Um, to me, that sent a pure, a very, very loud signal to third-party networks of you either stepped us up or the valuation of your companies are just going to go, you know, yeah. and so they're going to have to do a better job. Um, so I would say that it surprised me how that didn't improve as I thought it would. Um, 
Interesting. And it's unfortunate. Uh, but yeah. I think within that, what we tried to do within the Chargeway platform was to provide as much transparency as we could to people. So again, in the station finding element of Chargeway, again, if you click on a pin, you can see the details of it. We always had customer support information that you could contact for the network. And we always tried to tell you it's this network that's backing that station. If it was mm, white label yeah. and had branding from gosh, who knows what all over it, we would still say, if you got a problem, this is who you call. And if you want to leave a review, you can, but if you want to report a problem, you hit one button in the Chargeway app on a station, it auto-populates the station information in the, into the body of the email. It sends it directly to the customer support team from that network. All you got to do is add your notes and hit send. So this is these are ways that we've always been trying to help drivers have a voice in this space. And and obviously there's other there's other ways they can go about doing it on social media and others. But that's something that I think has definitely made an impact on mm -hmm. kind of adding a level of honesty from some, you know, some players that needed to improve upon things. Um, but yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But I think we've always looked at it and said, if we can showcase where you can go and what your expectation and experience of, of what your experience will be, then it's on the inside of the companies to live up to that on behalf of the driver. And I think we're going to see that some of those, uh, both auto brands and networks are going to survive better than others. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, again, this, there's a lot of EVs on the market now. I mean, you rewind five years and we've quintupled how many are on the market. I, I would I'd be willing to bet. And we've also quintupled the amount of networks out there. <laughs> Unfortunately, and fortunately, yes, that is true that those have also increased going to your point about reliability around those. I think, uh, and it, what is fascinating uh, with going back to that conversation we had earlier about the expectation of brands and what you know, uh, like, oh, I've always bought brand X, so I'm just going to buy brand X's EV. And yeah. there might still be some areas where they excel in, but it's very clear that you're getting new or traditional car, not only just new startups and new uh, players in the space, but especially uh, brands that have kind of been, I think, traditionally viewed as maybe like a lower tier brand, but they've seen electrification as kind of their opportunity to really change that and get a hold of that. And I, oh, of yeah. course, the probably the biggest one people think of are uh, the Kia and Hyundai, where they were kind of lower uh, cost competitive vehicles that were kind of uh, didn't offer a lot around traditional uh, amenities and they were already kind of in the process of changing that uh, expectation or impression and then really just latched onto electrification and have now kind of leapfrogged a lot of others in the space. So I think oh, yeah. it's still very early days between not just the automakers and the startups and then the charging infrastructure, but there's still so much that, I mean, I, I it's crazy how much has changed the last time, since the last time we had you on the podcast. So I can't wait. And hopefully it'll be sooner than uh, yeah. the last kind of time that we get to talk with you soon about some of these uh, changes and what we're seeing in the space. But one kind of final question I'd like to ask people, I think we've also touched on a little bit, but just to kind of get it out there. Uh, one question we ask everyone is, in your experience, kind of in your uh it, to you, what needs to either be done by government or maybe private? What could be done really between any of these that would have the biggest impact, you think, in moving EV adoption and EV char uh, charging infrastructure forward? Uh, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I, I will say I still, you know, and, and I, I'm on the broken record on it, but now that we're hearing the conversation from dealerships saying, you know, we've got all these cars stacking up on our showroom lots and we're not happy about it. And people aren't wanting these things. 
the moment I saw that that 4,000 auto dealers had written a letter to the Biden administration saying we need you to pause on your EV mandates and 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 they are very adamant about this. I immediately just asked the question that I asked you know years ago when we launched Chargeway, which is why would anybody go to a dealership to buy a car that runs on electricity as a fuel if they don't know anything about electricity as a fuel? Why would they do that? Right. They they don't know what they don't know. And we've seen countless campaigns around EVs are here and let's get more butts and seats. And oh gosh, there's Super Bowl ads that you just can't, you couldn't miss an EV ad a few years ago, right? And that's yeah. all it was. And I just kept watching that thinking, yep. And if you go out and go to any bar or any restaurant tonight in any town you're in in America and say, if every gas station closed tomorrow, how would you use your car? Because everyone would say, I couldn't. Right. But if we if we were doing it the right way with messaging, so if we're talking about from the federal government or wherever, if we were doing it right with messaging, the right response from the public, because if they had the right exposure to the information correctly, they'd say, well, it wouldn't really matter. I guess I could just drive an electric car. <laughs> because right now, people equate cars to gasoline. And yeah. the reason why we have brands, and again, this is Ford and other brands that have said, we're, we've got some vehicles that are starting to stack up here. They have an uphill battle because the, the, the type of customer that they've cultivated for the last 20 years is not your ideal EV buyer. And right. that's, that's just, that's a part of the game and they are trying to pivot and it's not the easiest thing in the world. I think combine that with the fact that you have a lack of understanding around what they can trust and what they even know about. There's walk down the street, every listen to this podcast, I invite you to this next time, your holiday <laughs> party, whatever, whenever you hear this, ask everybody in the room that is not related to the EV industry. Have you heard of electric fuel for your car? Do you know about it? Or just say, if every gas station closed tomorrow, how would you drive your car? And chances are they'd all say the same thing, which is, I guess I couldn't drive a car. And that right there speaks to the problem of we have zero visibility to the public around that they have a fuel choice. And I think my hair is going to get grayer over time <laughs> uh, because I keep beating this drum. And I don't know why it's not more obvious to everybody. I mean, you can make the right ecosystem like Tesla has, but man, you've got to control it all. And, yeah. and they've done it really well. And we just don't have that luxury to offer to the public from every product line. So that would be my hope as we can get more honest to ourselves around the fact that buying a car has always meant two products, cars and gas, and we've removed gas. And so we have to talk about electricity as a trusted fuel source and not get over our skis and start asking B to X questions about, hey, can we <laughs> tap into your car and borrow some kilowatt hours? Because people are very far away from having that conversation. I, I think that is a great place to end it on for a couple of reasons. One, clearly the battery in my camera has died. <laughs> but uh, two, I think that is such a great summary of what the challenges that the industry is facing. And I think once again, what you and Chargeway have done such a good job of hoping to like get people at least aligned around to ask the right question and then provide a really clear and concise answer to. So uh, I just want to say thank you again so much for being back on, Matt, and looking forward to talking again with you soon. Definitely. Well, again, thanks for the invite and always enjoy chatting with you.